0: all right all right welcome back listeners to yet another episode of what had happened a true crime podcast i am your host kimberly bringing you lesser known true crime stories thank you so very much for listening i know you could listen to anyone else so i'm super stoked that you choose to listen to me thank you guys you guys are the best welcome new listeners don't forget to join the what had happened facebook group instagram twitter that i don't tweet on i'm so bad about that maybe i'll get my assistant to do that links are always found in the description box along with my references so also don't forget to tell others so we th- we can continue to grow our little what had happened family the last episode i told you about john norman collins chapman you know, you gotta throw in the chapman because if you recall he legally changed his name back to his original last name whilst in prison where he still resides he was michigan's co-ed killer in the 1960s seven years before theodore bundy started wreaking havoc all over this beautiful land of ours um he went on a year-long murder spree john chapman did this week i thought i'd take us back to california i know we were just there with sanya sidro and also with linda Sobick. Yeah. Okay. Also, we were there with Jasmine Fiori. Okay, so California is a big ass state, and um, I feel like California people have like California has got a lot of shit popping, just like Florida. Notice I really—I don't think I—I I think I've only like covered one or two cases that took place in Florida. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Anyways, we'll scatter this about later on. You know, we'll get the we'll get the whole map. Um. But as I said before, this week I thought I'd take us back to California and tell you about. Y'all, it's an unsolved one. See, I had to jump the gun and jump the script. You know I don't talk about unsolved shit, right? Because it just sits so fucked up in my spirit. But here we are. And I'm going to tell you guys about the unsolved quadruple homicide that happened in cabin number 28. Dun, dun, dun. Keddie is a tiny mountain town nestled in the Sierra Nevada mountain range in California spanning 413 acres the town's population is and has been for like as long as i can gauge per my research under 100 people so that means everybody knows your fucking business Mm. ain't that some shit ain't y'all right up on top of each other Mm, that sounds like a fucking commune hey that's cool whatever anyways ketty is one of 16 towns in plumas county which spans 2,613 square miles. That's a nice chunk of area to have to preside over if you work for Plumas County for sure. Uh, In the fall of 1979, Keddie's population increased by six when newly separated Glenna Sue Sharp, 34, at the time and her five children moved into house number 28 after spending the summer in a rented trailer in the neighboring town of quincy where glenna sue's brother resided at the time that they moved in from connecticut by the way um her children were john age 15 at the time sheila age 14 tina age 12 rick age 10 and greg aged 5 so house 28 or number 28 was supposed to be a fresh start for glenna sue and her children having recently escaped the abuse of her husband james sharp in connecticut for the sierra nevada mountains where her brother don resided so clear mountain air room to exhale and breathe like literally breathe like you they'd all been holding in this breath you know as they put thousands of miles you know between themselves and james sharp's abuse the ability to stretch your legs and stretch your arms um, I don't know how many of you listeners have ever explored and been to a mountain range or any group of mountains it is an experience to be held um, it's amazing I don't give a shit if you guys walk through the fucking forest or what. well you know well I do because you know bodies but that's because true crime is super fucked up but you know there's this feeling of oneness with nature when you're up there and it's cathartic as fuck especially if you've got kids let them stretch their legs let them get out their angst let them play let them be free to explore nature and learn about you know everything around them in a way that is not immersed in technology or communications, all of that stuff. Getting back to basics. Super dope. Okay, so that was my sidebar. Well one of many I'm sure. Anywho, for almost two years glenna Sue and her children had grown to become a part of the kitty com- the Ketty community. So what had happened on April eleventh, nineteen eighty one inside of the house inside of house number twenty eight The day was super normal, which is to say that there wasn't a moment that wasn't filled with some sort of activity. Glenna Sue's fifth child, Rick, had baseball tryouts in the nearby town of Quincy, which required a lunchtime pickup. So after dropping Rick off at Gansner Field, Glenna Sue, Sheila, and Greg paid their friends, the Meeks family, a visit at about eleven thirty, glenna sue and her two children departed and headed back to gansner field to pick up rick at the mouth of quincy um because like there's like canyons and you're going you know you're literally like in the mountains so those of you guys who have been to mountains you know what the fuck i'm talking about okay so they're at like the mouth or like at the base of quincy right At the foot and so sue and her children just happened upon her oldest child john and i'm sorry i just referred to her as sue glenna sue like she primarily went by sue but like in wikipedia they introduced her as glenna and i'm that asshole that will call you by your government name so okay glenna sue and her two children picked up john and his friend dana hall wingate they were hitchhiking from quincy to ketty you already know if you listened to last week's episode i went off on m- several tirades about fucking hitchhiking <sighs> okay yeah hitchhiking okay so glenna sue picked up the boys and they drove approximately six miles back to ketty at about 3 30 john and dina hitchhiked back to quincy jeez louise i mean like i get it it's what people did to get around but for fuck's sake put your damn thumbs back in your pockets please jeez louise sorry hitchhiking like it's that thing that fucks me up (laughs) one of the many anyways i lose my fucking shit every time i hear hitchhiking but whatever the hitchhiking was a success and i know that hitchhiking isn't always has been dangerous as fuck for the love of all things sacred and <clears throat> please stop fucking hitchhiking rides stop pitching rides anyways witnesses later were called seeing john and dana downtown in downtown quincy late that after evening so the hitchhiking again was a success thank goodness but meanwhile back up the sharp home daughter sheila had plans to sleep over at their next door neighbors the Seabolts family's home in the sharp home glenna Sue stayed in with rick greg and their friend who was just like a hair younger his name was justin smart so it should also be noted that at some point tina another one of glenna sue's children was also next door at the Seabolts home watching television. So she was over there for a while. I don't know if she was babysitting. I don't know what she was doing over there, but she was hanging out over there. She was cooling. <clears throat> and then Sheila left for the Sharp Home at approximately like 8 p.m. for her little sleepover. And then Tina returned to the Sharp Home at about 9.30 p.m. The following morning at 7 a.m. Sheila Sharp gets up she's over at the seabolt home she gets up and she goes back home and she makes a grisly discovery she finds the bodies of john dana and glenna sue in the living room and it is grisly as fuck like the three had been bound with medical tape and electrical cords while rick greg and their friend justin they were found safe and unharmed in an adjacent be- bedroom but tina tina sharp was missing so shock scared shatter pants probably because i know i would if i walked in on a horror horrific scene like that she ran back to the seabolt home to tell them what she had discovered it was then that mr jamie seabolt went to the sharp home and successfully got rick greg and justin out of the sharp home by way of like the bedroom window in the room that the boys were in local law enforcement was notified immediately obbs um jamie seabolt had later admitted to them though that after getting the boys out of the house he entered to make sure that there was no one else in the sharp home um so then when police arrived to the home in Ketty, they were hit immediately with the sheer sure viciousness unleashed in the home so at the scene two were two bloodied knives and a hammer were found like one of the two knives a steak knife which had been used in the crime was bent 30 degrees okay so let's go back to the french murder real quick a steak knife is nothing more than a small ass bread knife and if you can go back into your memory bank of the photos that was shared within what had happened and possibly i think on the instagram group too um the photos from the crime scene from the french murder the bread knife the serrated bread knife was bent almost in half so, for a steak knife to be bent thirty degrees, there was a lot of force that was used. It was used primarily, um, most likely until it bent, and then most likely then they probably I hypothesized that the killer or killers switched up and used another knife. There was blood splatter evidence pointing pointed towards the living pointed towards the living room being the place where the crime had transpired. Uh, glenna sue was found lying on her side near the sofa her underwear and a blue bandana had been stuffed in her mouth and secured with tape as a gag and she was nude from the waist down so fucking sick glenna sue had been stabbed repeatedly in her chest her throat stabbed horizontally the larynx with stab wound nicked her spine that's how deep the damn stab wound was there was also a buttstock imprint on the side of her face that matched an eight eighty Daisy Powerline BB pellet rifle. Glenna sue's son John's throat had been slashed and his friend Dana had suffered from multiple blunt force trauma hits to the head before being manually strangled. Both John and Dana suffered multiple blows to the head with a hammer. The coroner's autopsy would reveal that Glenna, Sue, and John died due to blunt force trauma and multiple stab wounds, while Dana died due to asphyxiation. On the night of the murder, neither Sheila nor the Seabolts, who were literally next door, okay, literally next door, they said they didn't hear anything. But a couple that lived at house number 16 said that they heard muffled screams at approximately 1:15 a.m. While the sharp home showed no signs of forced entry, Tina's jacket, shoes, and a toolbox containing various, you know, tools and random shit were missing from the home. Most importantly, Tina was fucking missing from the home. Can we not glaze over that? The home phone was off the hook and the phone line was cut at the cord the drapes in the living room had been drawn neighbor and main suspect martin smart claimed a claw hammer went missing shortly before the murders at house number 28 so he was like yeah you guys like i was outside and i needed that claw hammer to hammer a nail into my deck on my cabin and lo and behold the motherfucker was gone what happened a true crime mystery plumas county sheriff sylvester thomas who presided over the case would later say that martin smart provided endless clues quote unquote in the case that seemed to throw suspicion away from himself Upon interviewing several residents and neighbors including the Seabolt family most said that they saw a green man in front of the sharp home at about 9 p.m. Justin Smart gave police conflicting stories of the murders as well that would include that he had told the first story would be that he told officers was that he dreamt he dreamt the details of the murders, but then he switched it up later and claimed to have witnessed them later while under hypnosis he claimed that sounds coming from the living room had awakened him while he was sleeping in the bedroom with rick and greg upon investigating these noises he found Glenna sue with two men one who had a mustache and short hair and the other who had long hair and a clean shaven face both men were gold rimmed glasses according to justin when john and dana entered the home a fight ensued and john and dana started arguing with the two men after which tina entered and was taken out of the cabin's back door by one of the men the sketches that you know were created off of justin's descriptions were created by a local novice so he had no artistic training he 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 wasn't even an artist he didn't even like scribble like pyramids and cubes and shit on the sides of napkins at the local diner he had no artistic background but like he was like you know what you guys I'm gonna help out and he essentially presented (laughs) the police with what I would describe as two steps better than a stick figure Uh, (laughs) and the sketches were not helpful Um, it was never actually explained why they used an inexperienced composite sketch artist when they had access to people who are considered top artists for the Department of Justice and the FBI (sighs) <sighs> but anyways this was 1981 this was the wild wild fucking west accompanying the sketches of the men the suspects were described as being in their late 20s to early 30s one man stood to be around 5 foot 11 and 6 2 with dark blonde hair and the other stood to be around 5 foot 6 or 5 to 5 foot 10 with black greased nasty hair both men were said to be wearing gold frame glasses sunglasses the rumor regarding the crimes being ritualistic or motivated by drug trafficking were dismissed as doug thomas the plumas county sheriff um he was just like no he stated that in the week following the murders that no drug paraphernalia or illegal drugs were found within home house number 28 Carla McMullen, a family friend, later told detectives that Dana had stolen an unknown amount of LSD from local drug dealers. However, there was no proof of this claim. This was just Scuttlebutt. Um, and we know about Scuttlebutt, right? Rumors are bullshit until they're found to be true. About 4,000 frustrating man hours were spent on the case, and in December 1983, Detectives ruled out serial killers Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, And those are the assholes that admitted to killing Adam Walsh, John Walsh's son. Oh, those sick, depraved fucks. Those two will go down in the annals of history for sure. Tina's disappearance was initially being investigated by the FBI as a possible abduction, But on April 29, 1981, the FBI backed off as the Department of Justice was doing an quote-unquote adequate job bullshit. And that made the FBI's presence quote unnecessary. The efforts of making a grid pattern search covering a five-mile radius um, around the house conducted with police canines bore no fruit. On April 22, 1984, three years and 11 days after the murders and Tina's disappearance, a bottle collector discovered a cranium portion of a human skull and part of a mandible at Camp 18, which is near Feather Falls, near Butte County, roughly like 100 miles away from Ketty shortly after the announcement of the discovery of the remains an anonymous call came into the butte county sheriff's office identifying the remains as those of tina sharp but the call was not documented in the case are you fucking kidding me a recording of the call was found in the bottom of an evidence box at some point after 2013 by a deputy who was assigned to the cold case The remains were confirmed by a forensic pathologist to be those of long-missing Tina Sharp. So sad. In 1984, when Tina's remains were discovered, detectives also discovered a blue nylon jacket, a pair of Levi jeans with a missing back pocket, and an empty surgical tape dispenser. Remember, surgical tape was one of the tools that were used to gag and restrain the victims in the sharp home this case has been like literally a labyrinth of questions with very little answers but plenty of speculation of course because again the population was under a hundred so everybody was pointing fingers and talking for example 15 years after the murders in 1996 robert joseph silveria jr was examined as a potential suspect in the murders who is that i don't fucking know In 2004, House Number 28 was demolished. In 2008, in a documentary that I only watched, literally, I'm gonna be very, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I only watched like the first five seconds of it. It was such a slow burn that I was like, I can't. And that's okay. Sometimes you watch it and you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna read about this because. Those of us who love to read books know that the books are normally better than anything that can be captured on film. I said it. However, in this instance, I just couldn't, but whatever. I'm a busy person, okay? But if you want to look into it, this documentary took place in 2008. Give that a Google because I didn't even include it in my references. <sighs> so, in 2008, in a documentary, Justin Smart's mother, Marilyn Smart, claimed... She suspected her husband's Martin and his friend John Bo Bo Biddy were responsible for the murders. Marilyn claimed that on the night of the murders, she'd left her husband and Bo at a local bar at about eleven PM and returned home so she could go to sleep. Cause you know, you gotta sleep that shit off, right? Well, at around two AM on April twelfth, she said she was awakened to find the two men burning an unidentified object in her wooden stove what the fuck Marilyn also stated that her husband hated johnny sharp quote with a passion which again i say girl why however in the same documentary sheriff doug thomas said that like after personally questioning martin smart um, and Martin, having passed his polygraph test, he was cleared as a person of interest. Well, so let's see here. John Bodeby Bobity, would end up dying in Chicago in 1988, and he used to tell people that he was associated with like nefarious people in the crime syndicates within Chicago. Don't know how he died. Don't really care, honestly. Um, while his friend Martin Smart succumbed to cancer in 2000. Now, <clears throat> on March 24th, 2016, nearly 35 years after the murders in house number 28 a hammer matching the description of the hammer martin smart claimed to have lost was discovered in a local pond and taken into evidence plumas county sheriff hagwood who was 16 at the time of the murders and knew the sharp family personally said quote the location it was found in it would have been intentionally put there it would not have been accidentally misplaced Plymouth County special investigator Mike Gamberg also stated at the time that six potential suspects were being examined. In a 2016 article published by the Sacramento Bee detailing the hammer's discovery, they reported that Martin had left Keddy shortly after the murders and drove to Reno. While there, Martin sent Marilyn, his old lady, a letter harping on the personal struggles within their marriage concluding with quote I've paid the price of your love and now I've bought it with four lives ooh in an interview in 2016 special investigator Gamber, Gamberg stated the letter the letter to Marilyn was quote overlooked in the initial investigation and never admitted into evidence later criticizing the initial investigation by saying quote you could take someone coming out of the academy and they'd have done a better job a counselor whom martin visited regularly would also allege that he had admitted to the murders of glenna sue and tina but claimed quote i didn't have anything to do with the boys he allegedly told the counselor that tina was killed to prevent her from identifying him as she quote witnessed the whole thing in april 2018 special investigator gamberg stated that dna evidence recovered from a piece of tape uh from the scene from the crime scene matched that of a known living suspect so what had happened is this As I told you, this is an unsolved mystery. Damn, I hate an unsolved mystery. What we know is this. There were a lot of fucking suspects who could have happened into house number 28. It is a literal who's who. We don't know, but because DNA evidence from that piece of tape, you know, has come about, All of these years later, and we've seen this now recently in true crime, where a lot of cold cases have been solved due to evidence from, for instance, like using Ancestry or 23andMe, you know, so that we can close these cases. So um, the most recent update that I saw was that as of early 2021, the case is very close to being solved uh because they have to keep this under their lid. they don't want to just you know say oh it was what did you say sir colonel mustard in the library with the candlestick we can't just come up with that immediately off the rip this is this also kind of reminds me of enron's uh the east area rapist who uh and he was also the golden state killer who michelle mcnamara was on the hunt for and how we found out who he was you know before you know right after this whole 23 and me explosion and then we were able to have that bastard die whilst incarcerated so i feel horrible for glenna sue and all of the lives lost her her children her you know the friend of her child it's so fucking tragic and the fact that the person was able to move in and out of that cabin without Sheila and the seabolts hearing what was going on and to get the hell out of town really quickly or even just stay there and just sit there you know this person very well could live in like one of the neighboring mountain towns i have no clue that's why this shit is unsolved and that's why this shit is perplexing and this is why kimberly does not do yes i refer to myself in the third person this is why i do not work with unsolved mysteries i need resolve at the end of the day so i will definitely be keeping my eyeballs open on the news and see how this you know transpires see if we can get some closure because wower like i mean this is a quadruple homicide that has gone unsolved for 40 years so let's solve this bitch anyways you guys this was a i don't even know let's check and see how much time i've prattled on this is probably one of the shortest episodes in the history of what had happened a true crime uh podcast because it's an unsolved mystery so there's not as much meat and potatoes to get into hope you guys enjoyed this half hour episode i'm going to live my best weekend life hope you guys are having the best weekend ever uh be safe wear those masks watch your fucking hands get vaccinated get boosters distance yourselves from people if you have to but again mask up if you're in large groups you know what to do you know what to do common sense dictates you know what to do we've been doing this for like a smooth year and a half now so carry on have a great weekend and i will see you soon with another lesser known true crime story outro music please